Well, good morning, church. Happy Father's Day again. Um, and children, enjoy your fathers. I miss mine this morning. And uh, I miss my father-in-law as well. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to do that now. It's good to be with you, though, today in the house of the Lord um, and to worship our Heavenly Father, uh, who is worthy of all of our adoration and all of our joy and all of our confidence and faith in Him. Um, if you've got your copy of God's Word, I would invite you to open it to... Uh, Colossians chapter number 3. Uh, we're going to uh, settle in verse 21, but I want to read a section of Scripture there. So if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Colossians chapter number 3. Um, I'm going to actually go back up and uh, start reading in verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, it's a special day today, not because it's Father's Day, but in all of the years of my preaching, I've been preaching a while, been preaching since I was 17. I won't mention how old I am now, but uh, I've been preaching a while. And in all of those years, and much of that as a pastor, um, this is only the second time ever that I remember specifically preaching a message that is di directed to fathers in that way. Um, you know, especially since I was younger, I used to take quite joy in the fact that I am not going to preach based on what the calendar says. I'm going to preach because the Holy Spirit's not going to ever lead me to preach what's on the calendar. Well, that's just being... Silly sometimes, okay? Because sometimes the, the calendar and the Spirit collide and He uses things on days like that. And so you got to be open to that. And so um, you guys knew that we've been taking a break from Ephesians anyway. We're kind of like on a summer vacation from Ephesians and I'm bouncing all around different texts. And this text was just on my mind and my heart throughout this week. Um, and if there's ever been a period in the history of the church in the age in which we live and which the family is so 
obviously assaulted, it is a time like this that we need to be equipped by God's Word on who and what we should be as Christian parents and Christian children um, in this world. Now, a person can go down to Barnes and Noble and purchase a book by Dr. Spock or uh, Dr. James Dobson, and that's all good and fine, but there is no substitution for the living and enduring Word of God. It gives us true insight. Um, My heavenly Father is the best resource, the ultimate resource and source of help for being a father or a mother in this very complicated, uh, scary, yet so rewarding task of being a Christian parent. Uh, The psalmist writes in Psalm 127, verses 3, 4, and 5, Behold, Children are a gift from God, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth, the children of one's youth. Blessed, in other words, most happy is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate, end quote. Children are precious gifts who are given to us to be raised for the glory of God. They are precious gifts to us. And the promise of a place like Psalm 127 and verse 5 when it says, He, that's the daddy, will not be put to shame. That promise is certain and for sure when we raise our children for the glory of God. Now the practical question becomes, how then do we raise our children for the glory of God? Well, let's not overcomplicate it. Um, We raise our children for the glory of God by going to God's Word and looking to see what God's Word says to us about raising our children. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, praying that God will help us to conform to those principles and precepts that He gives us concerning the raising of our children. Um, Well, uh, Colossians 3 and verse 21 is one of those words that we can follow to raise our children to the glory of God. And I think Paul must have been in Baptist mode when he wrote verse 21 because when you look at verse 21, guess what? It naturally falls out into three divisions. So you... Three things here. Now I've got some other little things we'll say about these three things. But um, 
it just sort of just sort of unfolds that way. We look, we see what? We see the this admonition that is being stated right there. What's this command that's being given? It's do not. Negative command. Do not provoke your children. Who then is addressed with this admonition? It starts out with the word fathers then do not provoke your children. And why is this given? Well, the purpose behind this admonition, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Let's think about this. I drop as a title over this verse, a word to fathers... Parentheses and mothers too. Um, let's think about this this morning. Um, first of all, let's start with the the, the addressee of this um, admonition. It's fathers. Now, listen to me carefully. Though this admonition is addressed to fathers, and fathers are the target. Um, it really has implication and application to both mother and father. Okay? Because both mother and father are given a great deal of authority over a child, and the child is responsible for obeying both parents. That's what verse 20 is about. And so the command to not provoke the child is applicable to both the mom and the dad. Matter of fact, verse 21 is sort of the protective balance. Verse 21 is when we have this command that we read, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. It's sort of the protective balance to the command of verse 20 over here, which is children obey your parents, both mom and dad. And then we have this verse number 21 here. Um, Now... Uh, it's there lest either of the parents misuse and abuse their authority. Okay? I mean, the, the text, you know, it, it doesn't mean, Paul certainly didn't mean children obey your parents and fathers do not provoke them, but you mothers provoke them all day long. No, I think there's some moms that have taken it that way. But no, that is not what that means. And so if that is the case, and it has application to both mother and father, why in the world would Paul simply use the term patreo, which is translated father? Why didn't he use a generic term to encompass both of them? Well, I think there is a powerful point and purpose behind him using the term Father, meaning father, and it is to remind us of the leadership role that the father has in the Christian home. And I don't think we do a good job with that in our culture, dads. Um, 
But it's to remind us of that, that role that we have. Um, and, and, and we so, fathers need to hear that today. Um, because in our culture today, child rearing, the discipline and the spiritual education seems to be thrown off entirely in the lap of the mother or the grandparents. And fathers, we should be fulfilling our leadership role in the home. Not just the mother, not just the grandparents, but us and the mother and the grandparents. Okay? All of us. All of us. Um, Furthermore, I would also say, when you consider the priority and the place of the leadership role of the father, um, one needs to understand that when a mother is guilty of provoking their children, it is the father's responsibility to deal with the problem. Because he will, the father, I believe, give an account even for the mother's mishaps if they don't deal with it. You remember Paul wrote over in the book of 2 Corinthians that that the serpent deceived Eve. But if you think about it, when you go back to what happened in the garden, the Bible does not say that we all died in Eve, or nor does it highlight Eve as responsible for the fall of the human race. But it does it hold up as responsible. Adam, for we all died in Adam. Because of Adam's actions. And though Eve was deceived and bit of the proverbial apple, it is Adam that is responsible for what happened in the garden that day and not Eve, the weaker vessel. So, we better wake up and realize the weight of the responsibility that we carry. So the addressee, the the one addressed here, the admonition, it is to the Father. But the Father does not single out the mother. She is folded into this, but in a very special and very unique way. But it does encompass both. But the Father especially in a unique way. Now, secondly, before we actually look at the command, let's think about the purpose behind the command. Because commands are not given in a vacuum. There's a reason. There's a God-glorifying, God-centered reason that is good for you. So let's think about this purpose behind the admonition. It is this, lest they, what does the text say? Lest they become discouraged. Lest they become discouraged. The goal of good fathers is to raise children who are not discouraged. Now, 
the word that is translated discouraged, it entails and implies the losing of heart, it, of, of becoming sad or discouraged or lacking confidence. So you don't want to raise your children in such a way that they will become like any of those characteristics of being discouraged because you will ruin their lives and make yours miserable. Now, if we don't want to do that, then what are we to do? Well, obviously, if we do not want to discourage them in the way that is entailed by that term that's being used there by Paul, we obviously want to do the opposite, which is encourage them. Obviously, we want to to encourage them. We want the opposites of the word being translated there discouraged. In other words, we want to produce children that are, just to name a few, full of hope and full of joy and gladness and full of confidence and courage. Now, if I stop right there and then moved on to the command. I would not be telling you anything that worldly pop psychologists would not tell you. Because if you just tell that without keeping it in the context of the Scripture, all I have given you is some ooshy-gooshy psychobabble. Okay? Because then we don't want that. We don't want that at all. Alright? Um, this is the Word of God where we have this command. And the Word of God is written about insight that no natural eye could perceive. So when Paul tells us that we need to, to not be parents of discouragement, meaning we do need to be parents that foster hope and joy and confidence in our children, he means something that is absolutely God-centered. And therefore that hope and that joy and that courage and that confidence is hope in God and joy in God and gladness in God and hope in Christ and confidence in Christ and joy in Christ and not just in some generic thing because pop psychologists would tell you, oh, well, you want your child to be really have great self-esteem and you want them to have a, a great to be self-confident and all of these things that are not substantial when you need to find your confidence in Christ and your identity in God, not in yourself. Now, there's a big difference in what the Bible is saying versus what the world would say. Okay. Um, so, what what do we what do we want to do, dads? Um, we don't want to discourage our children. We want to fill them with joy in God. We want them to have more joy in God than money or gold. Okay. We, we don't want to discourage them. We want to fill them with confidence. We want them to be confident in Christ. 
All right? We want them to be confident in Christ. Some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. But we want them to be a people that say, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. We want them to not be discouraged, but filled with hope in God. Hope because we are a people who find that hope in the believing of the covenant promises that are given. So, fathers... We don't want our children to be discouraged. Therefore, we have this command that is clearly stated. Don't, do not provoke your children. The negative command here in verse 21 is the outflow of the positive command of verse 20. The positive command is children, obey your parents. The negative balance beam here is verse 21, parents or fathers, which has application to both parents, do not provoke your children. Wow. Parents are given tremendous authority over their children. And children are to obey them in everything. For this pleases the Lord. But parents must be careful not to misuse their God-given authority and so provoke or embitter their children so that their little spirits are hopelessly broken. Listen to me, dads. In the name of Christ in making a mockery of Him. Some of you have broken the spirits of your children in a very religious way. And you will give a great account. And you see that in where their lives are at now. You let that sit home with you. Now, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You don't want them to be hopelessly discouraged in their Christianity. Now, in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, which... We'll get to that one of these days when we get back into Ephesians and we work our way there. We're still way back in what? Chapter 2 or 3? But we, there you find a similar verse. And there Paul uses um, a word there that's different from the word he uses here. There it means specifically to provoke to anger. The word that he uses here is different though in Colossians. It's more general to encompass any means of provoking or exasperating a child into a state of hopeless, hopeless discouragement. So now the question becomes how is it that we could provoke our children into a state of hopeless discouragement? Well, I think it would be good to end our message. And it takes a while to end, by the way. Okay. I mean, don't think you can pack your bags and go out, okay? Ending with me is a process. Okay, you got to follow. It's Nick Saban. You got to follow the process. Okay. Now, 
Nick, you didn't like that comment. But I saw that Auburn insignia on your jacket. Um, let's think about this, though. How could we provoke our children, put them in a place where they cannot find hope and cannot find confidence and cannot find joy in God? In other words, what do fathers or mothers do that provoke children into a state of becoming a person without hope or confidence or courage in the God we talk about? There are several things that we could note, but I'm just going to give you two. Okay. And these are two biggies. All right. The first one is this. Dads and moms. You ain't getting off the hook, moms. Dads and moms, we provoke our children like this by not, by not becoming hopeful and joyful and confident in God ourselves. I mean, if you're not, why do you think they are? They watch. They see how you respond to problems and adversity. They see whether you respond biblically or not. They see how you respond to not respond. Now, you're not going to respond biblically all the time to things. But they will see how you respond to your non-response biblically because eventually you've got to respond to it in some way. They see. They see. They see, Piper said, and I quote him, What you are in relation to God is more important than any parenting technique you try to employ. End quote. Will your children find hope in God if you, parent, find your hope in your bank account and in your retirement fund and in your CDs and in all that kind of stuff? Will they? Will your children discover joy and gladness in God if your joy and gladness is found more in fishing on the Tennessee River than being in the Lord's house on the Lord's day? Because the only reason some fathers in some churches all around the world today are there and not on some river fishing is because it's Father's Day and they've got to go. You see, will your children be confident in God if they see a self-assured, self-reliant, self-confident person for a mom or a dad? Chances are, let this sink in, chances are, dad and mom, your children will grow up to become almost just like you. Hmm. I'm not talking about genetic predisposition. The older I get, the more I look like my dad. 
That's genetic predisposition. However, there are some times and there are some things that come out of me and I'm like, oh, that was that. And that ain't always good because we ain't all perfect, right? You have influence. You have great influence. You have more influence than you can ever begin to imagine. Intentional, but most of the time, even non-intentional influence. Wow. Wow. You see, if you're hopelessly discouraged, chances are they will be too. You will provoke them by your failure, our failure, to provide them with a living, breathing model to follow that is hopeful and joyful and confident in God. Second way. Dads and moms, we provoke our children to be discouraged with a hostile and harsh up and down, sporadic, hot one moment, cold the next type of discipline. And that's serious. Now, Ben Sirah, you know it, Archie might, really. He was a 10th century, <laughs> 10th century uh, Jewish scribe and scholar. Uh, he wrote this, and I quote him, and I'm not quoting him to say he's right, so if you stop listening to me at the end of this quote, you will walk out of here believing something that I don't want you to think. All right, but I want to quote him a minute because this is the mentality of a lot of people sometimes. He says this, He who loves his son will whip him often, bow down his neck to in his youth, and beat his sides while he's young, end quote. Now, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. Yes, discipline is a must. Corporal punishment ought not be passe, and time out is for the birds. But punishment is to be done in love, and it is to be consistent and based upon clear rules and justice. When a father excessively is excessively harsh and hinders a child from finding confidence and joy and hope in God, there is a problem. Their image of God becomes skewed by their image of their earthly father. History tells us in one of the sad stories from history, religious history, is about Martin Luther pre-conversion. 
His father was a very, very harsh man. He was a very stern man. And Luther, because of that, found it very difficult to pray our Father. Because when he would say Father, it would invoke these images of the harsh, hard Father that he had grown up with. And that stood out in his mind. But Luther was gloriously converted by the sovereign grace of God. God began to awaken him in a mighty thunderstorm. But uh, we, we won't go down that road right now today. But Luther said this after his conversion. He said, and I quote him, and this is right, Luther's right. He says, spare the rod, spoil the child, it is true. But besides the rod, keep an apple to give him when he does well. End quote. You know what the pride of some of you is doing? Well, my dad didn't give me an apple when I did well, and I'm just fine. Are you really fine? Because that attitude tells me you're not. I remember my dad. Oh, he could be quite the disciplinarian. He did not shy away from a belt when Scott did very bad. I had to do very bad. I did very bad sometimes. Deserved it. I want to tell you something about my dad. He might have whooped the fire out of me sometimes because I had some hellfire in me. Okay. But it wasn't 10, 15 minutes later. Here comes my dad in my room sobbing embracing me, telling me how much he loved me, telling me that I wouldn't understand it, but it really is true that this hurts him more than it ever hurt me. When you're a kid, you think things like, well, Dad, let's trade. And I had children. And yeah, I've whooped my kids a few times. Not as much as I got whooped, Lord. And I could really get angry sometimes. It kills me. But what I will say is that whenever I've had to do that, whenever I've had to discipline my child, it would break my heart. And I've gone and I've had to go off by myself. And I'll cry like a baby. Guys and ladies, the demeanor in which you have as you discipline is so important.
Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Instead, be the kind of dad that fosters hope and joy and gladness and confidence and courage in God. Then, and only then, will you be a man not put to shame by your children. Psalm 127 verse 5. And then you will be a happy father who is raising Christian children. And no matter what Satan devises to discourage them because he will, and no matter what the world concocts in order to steal the hearts of your children away, they will not be ultimately shaken for their hope and their joy and their courage and their confidence will be in Jesus Christ. I will also say this. Just be real. You are not perfect. And if you think you are, I would say, Pharisee, you need to be born again. You're not perfect, but be real. Be real. Doesn't take perfect parents to raise Christian children. It takes authentic parents. When you've blown it big time and you will and you've messed up and it's something that's obvious and open and seen and known to them, you deal with it rightly. It is not your failures that are your enemy, it is your responses to those failures that will destroy or deliver. Consider that. Let's pray together. Precious Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. God, help us. Please. Help us, Father, to know that in our feebleness and in our trembling and in our even foolishness at times, God. Your power is made perfect. Your grace, mighty, great, sovereign, efficacious grace is more than above and beyond sufficient. Lord, may we have our joy and our confidence enlarged in You today. And may that joy and that confidence in Christ be contagious in our homes. Lord, it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen.